Peace be upon you, and welcome to this week's edition of Pathway to Peace, a show which took an analytical, an analytical look at the current issues and trends affecting us all, trying to find the answers to problems that affect our political peace, economic peace, social peace, and inner peace. And this week we'll be fo- focusing on attaining political peace and, to, large, uh, to a large extent, social peace as well. Uh, in an article published on the Guardian news website on the 11th of July, which was titled The Guardian's View on MPs' Interests Declare Shareholdings Affected by Laws Going Through Parliament, it highlighted current rules uh, leave voters were ignorant of the tension that amount to certainly exists between shielding financial interests and advancing the public good. Far too little is known about one aspect of the closeness of connections between MPs and private companies, the stake of the former in the latter. This is because parliamentarians' investments in firms have been rendered largely secret. This was until this week when The Guardian revealed that more than 50 members of parliament have owned stakes in publicly listed companies, raising questions about possible conflicts of interest. MPs have only to register holdings greater than 15% of a company or those valued at more than £70,000. Below those limits, the test for MPs to consider is whether their interests might reasonably be thought by others to influence them. But there is no duty on MPs to declare such stakes in companies affected by legislation going through Parliament. That's why this week's programme is titled Trust in Democracy. Is it fit for purpose? My name is Nasser Sajjad and I'm your host for today's programme. And with me in the studio in an attempt to dissect this topic is Asif Ashraf, my co-presenter. Assalamu alaikum, Asif. Assalamu peace be with you. Um, okay, so uh, based on that, you know, uh, article um, in The Guardian, there was, the, there's a couple of things that came out of it. One was what our poli- what, how much trust can we have in our politicians? And the kind of broader question, which is our trust in democracy. Yeah. So focusing on that first bit on politicians, uh, how much trust can we have in our politicians given the Guardian's revelations on those interests that these MPs hold? And how much should we focus on that as a broader trust in politicians? I, I think the article is just covering one aspect. Right. Of a, a number of issues that have come about in recent uh, months and, and year, even the recent years. It's just covering one aspect of the aspect of uh, where politicians have been able to take some form of, we might say, liberties in terms of what they're able to do. Yeah. And, and a lot of it, can also boil down to the, the ability for these politicians to be lo- to be lobbied, uh, and lobbying takes a, a big role in this. And the actual chance that a, a lobbyist or a lobbying group, for example, can have a greater say on politicians, yeah. and this aspect of things comes into fray. And if a, a politician has particular holdings in companies, that level of declaration of those things that the bar, effectively speaking, is is quite high at the moment. Effectively speaking, that idea of 70,000 financial holdings, is, is, would, you'd argue, is is quite high in some respects. That, you know, if, if you were a lot lower, you would be able to say you have a vested interest in the decision-making that comes about. Yeah. And a lot of those sort of things reflected on things like energy companies where there's holdings within those sort of energy companies. And there's been obviously a lot of news re- regarding policy-making around energy companies. There's been a lot of issues around, for example... Um, on water companies, we've had a lot of issues regarding how water companies have mismanaged themselves um, and also at the same time uh, polluting our, our waters, waterways. And yet many policies or options or proposals are being put forward in Parliament uh, to actually penalise 
directors directly or allow them to 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 stop them from taking bonuses etc um until certain targets are met however there's been a lot of resistance to that particularly from um let's say the conservative party in, in this regards to stop certain um proposals like that going through where com- you know whether where there's policy related to environment to to our um to our energy companies or key critical companies um and those have been somewhat stopped or, or in the process one could argue some of that may well be down to their vested interest right. within those within those areas um some of those again can be related to shareholdings within them other kind of uh, potential f- future uh, lobbying that's been happening to them through through those groups donations that have been made to their particular political parties etc so uh, certainly one aspect of things is the area where um companies or individuals can donate to um a conservative party or a political party can then um share or, or shape the view that that party takes within policy making i mean it's more than just shaping the view it's influential it influences the policy completely okay yes. and so that changes the the landscape of politics really because if, if this should this should belong to the people right that's you know we'll talk about democracy yeah. later so but when policy is being strongly affected by a company and its shareholders then effectively the companies are affecting that landscape of politics uh, and thereby influencing the politicians to make sense so you know there immediately there seems to be a kind of a level of distrust or there would be distrust because you know they're not even listening to their own maybe constituents absolutely i think that i mean you could argue certain cases is that a lot of politicians have become somewhat detached from their right. their actual constituency you know you could argue certain politicians have got other um media kind of interest yeah. that them they take on board over and above sometimes their actual um key kind of focus is this, to their constituency and some of this is becoming more and more high profile a lot of stuff about politicians who are doing the speaker circuit earning tens of thousands right. if not millions through the speaker circuit some of them might well be ex um prime ministers um you've got people who are uh, well, you've got current seven members of government who were caught on camera yes you know doing lots of doing, things really. doing lots of things when they were I mean, I would question the methods in which they were caught because they were set up for it. Um, but um, it still highlights their the ability to the yeah. ability uh, or the vulnerability of those politicians yeah. to be easily um, right. influenced or or misled to some extent or have their attention diverted to yeah. uh, an interest which is maybe even external of our country. Yeah. Um, having been influenced and putting their priorities over and above those of the constituency so and of people in general and the people yeah. that they serve of this nation so this is a a thing that's been exposed a, a fair bit what tends to happen though is that they've got one thing in their favor at this present moment in time is, is that the media generally speaking are slow in latching on to really taking this to the next level and access of getting um fueled up by this particular issue. So mm. sometimes the media sometimes can stoke the the issue and make it more of an issue yeah. um than it actually is. And and it should be, but in some respects they play a little bit of lip service to it, give it a bit of exposure and move on to the next yeah. celebrity issue that might be a diversion from from the government politics issue. So the government's been lucky in some respects that they've been able to uh um allow the the constituency and the the public to be almost um desensitized to some of these issues that are going on a lot of for example you can have issues related to 
the level of corruption that might have happened around the the COVID issues and the actual right. way different contracts and, and tenders were, were given out and sometimes how closely related they were to um, politicians' own interests. So right. a lot of this has come about and yet it shows the level of um, misuse of funds, misuse of, of um, uh, or, or biased interests or self-interest being being exposed in this particular area. So this this kind of aspect of things doesn't get enough of the exposure. And to some extent, the public's become a little bit more apathetic to the, the whole idea of what's going on in this particular area. And the reflect, how does this ref, then reflect in overall behaviour of people going forward? What's the next aspects of things? Some of it might be reflected in the tendency for people to take to strikes or, or understand the strikes which may be happening in, in and around the, the UK as well. So public dis, uh, distrust may be reflected in that. Yeah. Um, in France, for example, you could argue some of that reflection of distrust in politicians or the establishment may be reflected in the level of uh, of riots that may happen and, and so forth. That's more, um, obviously, uh, a negative way of actually expressing your dis- right. distrust yeah. of, of, of politicians or the establishment. But, you know, who's to say those kind of issues may not flare up as a result of yeah. pushing people a little bit too far in in terms of what they believe in. I mean, yeah, I mean, we'll come on to a bit later on, but in, in there's a couple of things I'll pick up on, on the things you've just said, Dave. I think just on the last one, in terms of what's happening in France, um, and and the way they've gone about that is is through the rioting. I mean, I suppose this kind of shows, and we'll, come, we'll touch on this later, is that when you move away from kind of the a, a, a path into that pure secularism, then you know, what is somebody supposed to do when they haven't got a belief that helps them, you know, focus towards a more, uh, say, diplomatic way of uh, resolving these issues. But, I mean, we'll come back to that. One of the things, there's a couple of terms you used when you were were talking just now. One of them was corruption. Now, we seem to use that word corruption quite openly now with politicians, and yet nothing gets done about it. Uh, We're hearing, you know, you you mentioned corruption uh, during during COVID. Um, And so, you know, when you actually have got, if, we was, if this is another country, if we were talking about an African nation, we're talking yeah. corruption, we would jump on that. We would jump on that and we would say it's wrong, it's, you know, this, it shouldn't be done. And, you know, so, but it's being done in sort of the UK. We're talking about corruption in the UK. Um, and, you know, the UK is one of those countries amongst many, that which is sort of a standard bearer for democracies, a standard bearer for, you know, good politics. Yet we're talking openly and easily about corruption. Okay, shouldn't there be um, some level of um, accountability for that corruption? Because it seems to be one corrupt process after another. And then the other thing I want to pick up is that you just said you spoke about public apathy, and I'm wondering if those two are tied in. The fact that someone can be so corrupt, yet at the same time the public can be so apathetic that we let that corruption fly. Yeah, I mean, you could argue the the question of how the ethics um, leader of the ethics area of, of government is actually being removed as well and not replaced in some respects. So in this regards, the, the lack of um, the lack of interest in, in maintaining somebody to maintain your ethics yeah. is also there as well. And, and of course, you'll get apathy coming into place there. But the, part of this is that there's not enough exposure of the defining it as corruption. Mm-hmm. It's right. never, we, we never talk about 
there seems to be a lot of discussions about around those issues, yeah. but then we never outwardly say this is corruption, right? Right, right? because we don't use the, the c word yeah. um, as much in modern Western democracies, right? Um, because it doesn't seem to feel right. It, it seems to be isolated rather than widespread. Yeah. So that's the perception that would. I mean, the argument will be is that in you know the developing say African countries, let's say for that use of those terms. That, or even even in India, Pakistan, for example, right. you know, corruption is seen as part of your social fabric, right? Um, it's almost normal, normalized in that respect. Where in the UK, for example, or other countries in Western Europe, it's not seen as normalized. It's seen as isolated as incidents. Yet it's done in a very subtle way, um, hard for people to pick out, and sometimes. But it's it's there and, and it's been done and it's quite apparent in terms of what's ha- happened in issues related to how you know how our funds have been spent during particularly the COVID crisis as well. I mean, this goes goes uh, sort of before COVID as well. We go back to Brexit and we we come back to Brexit a lot when we talk about politics. And politics, I know this. Uh, but uh, there was another article uh, in the Guardian not so long ago um, on the eighteenth of July. Um, 22, by the way, no. yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Um, where there was this um, case for with a recent change, where there was a case for, you know, whether politicians should be um, punished for their lies. Uh, and, you know, they were talking about things at that time about the Brexit bus and the promise of 350 million a week, uh, Boris Johnson's prorogation of parliament, uh, you know, it being um, unlawful. And so there was a question of, uh, should they be um, punish should, should there be a uh, I think they called it a a truth law, a truth law. Yeah, and that kind of you know one of the t- lines they used in this article was truth is democracy's most important moral value, and it just kind of struck me as odd that if we're talking about democracy, we should then have to introduce because we should be true if we. You know, democracy is based yeah. on truth. It's based on justice as well. I mean, they said it's this most important moral value, but do we, can we say justice kind of is a part of that, right? Yeah. Um, um, and the fact that we need a law on truth-telling, it kind of it isn't that kind of revealing in how the state of politics is today. Yeah, I think it's quite revealing in terms of even in... The House of Parliament, you you can't outwardly say somebody is lying, right? One right. of the other politicians lying. There's obviously a law against that process. Yeah, um, it's amazing how that's the case when you're ex- you're able to sort of you, that's where you hold people to account, right? But you can't turn around and say somebody is lying. Yeah, when they've told you facts about government policy and so forth, you yeah. you can't definitively say that, which is really strange. Um, and, and there's no harm in saying, okay, I'm prepared to throw down the card and say. You know, this is an untruth. Yeah. Um, and, and that's, you perhaps could use a different way of saying, I'm afraid you're mis- misleading the 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 the, 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 the 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 parliament or whatever you can yeah. say that's misleading the house, for example, in certain cases. Yeah. But you would always struggle to find the ability to actually be able to call people out yeah. and call it straight that that's, that's basically not the truth. Yeah. Um, that's probably where, where our politicians. Um, and our way of our democracy needs to be very clear and actually be able. To, but then also the other argument here is is that you've got to be when you when you call somebody out in some respects you've got to be doing it from a point of view of complete knowledge that this is 
this is the case, yeah, uh, and that it's not you know in any way, shape, or form a misunderstanding. Um, there's also a case where you know obviously politicians deal with a lot of information; they rely also on a lot of um, advisors and also a lot of um, public servants to provide them information. Um, they can then change that information accordingly or misinterpret it in some respects. So information down that chain of events, for example, there is an element that errors can happen, right? That's understandable. But there are cases when it sometimes goes beyond an error and it's blatantly misleading people. Yeah. Um, but some of these things which are done, they're actually done outside that, that, those, that House of Commons where there is an element of accountability. But outside that, certain things can be done where that's where the misleading process happens and the perhaps the corruption happens as well. And, and a lot of it stems down to, you know, you could argue how it, we fund up our, our democracy or our, or our politics. And that's probably critical to how the level of which corruption can, can come into, into politics. Um, you know, there is an argument that says that, um, you know, the Labour Party might be too uh, ingrained with what the trade union wants. So right. so much pulled into that direction. And that's somewhat true in the sense that trade unions will have a say on what Labour policy is, and it's quite a big say. Um, and that indicates to you that whoever pays um, the way in, in politics or pays a big chunk of money towards it does have a big say in what, what that party stands for. That's not to say that the unions are, are, are standing for negative things, but it gives you an indication of, of the ability that where the the money talks, etc., or the money makes the policy. Um, in the same regards, there are uh, other parties that have a much more different approach towards ensuring that there's no there's no single individual that will have a greater say over the rest of that the membership of that party. And and but uh, the way that the unfortunately the way that the Conservative Party run it is. Um, a case where some cases big donors have a big say. And our other aspect of things is that um, we use the honours system to almost uh, create an element of corruption as well because who doesn't want influence and status? Uh, mm -hmm. Money buys, and that status is sometimes bought um, yeah. in this regard. And, and that's, you know, you could argue is the the main treasurers of, of the Conservative Party, I don't want to make this an issue about the Conservative Party, but there have been people who have made huge donations have ended up in the House of Lords. Right. That's a kind of level of of influence that that money buys you that kind of status. Um, and that, that's unfortunately the, the situation where you could argue that that's been happening. I don't want to sort of turn around and say that that's the case, but it, you, you can't draw any other conclusion from right. what you see that there seems to be a relationship between... Uh, the donations that are made to or the influence on politicians on their party can then have a bearing on on what they give back to those individuals in terms of status, in terms of changing perhaps legislation for favouring those individuals as well or those organisations. So a lot of that is there and it feels very apparent that it's there. Um, and I think some, from time to time we get the odd scandal that comes through into the press where the wider public is aware of it as well. But a lot of times these things don't go miss. This article that you referred to in The Guardian, it's only really influenced on The Guardian. It's never made mainstream right. media. Right, it's important, yeah. Right? So those little things, those changes, are not reflected in mainstream media enough. Um, and that's where accountability is a key important aspect of what we, we aim to do or, or we should be looking up our politicians to do.
Um, and I don't, and I know that from how people how this is reflected is is you will always get individuals who will stop who will not vote. I mean, you know, we we look people look at voter turnout situation as right. well, and voter turnout situations indicate uh, a lot about whether people have an interest in in those affairs or not. And and you know, fifty, sixty, seventy percent turnout is seen as good, but it just tells you an indicator, for example, that 30, maybe 40 percent, maybe even up to 50 percent don't turn out because they don't trust. That is what their vote is going to make any difference to. So democracy is going to suffer as a result of what, what goes on. And the and voters will stay at home. People will stay at home. They will not, you know, practice the, the democracy that's been given to them, that people have even fought and died for in terms of achieving. That's been neglected at the moment. So uh, focusing, focusing on that a bit, um, the Electoral Commission um, has been uh, tracking public attitudes <coughs> sorry, people, towards different aspects of elections and democracy in the UK. And uh, in the most recent study uh, in February of this year, it had over 4,000 respondents. And the summary of those findings were that a majority of people remain confident, uh, despite everything we've said today, confident that elections are well run in the UK despite a slight decline in recent years, uh, the long-term pattern is positive. That's an interesting point as yeah. well, because there's been now I a mean, change. I mean, I would agree that they're well run. They are. <laughs> and and the interesting aspect of the reason why um, there's always been this issue about voter um, fraud. Yeah. And e- even in America, this has come up many times. It's always called... We've had a lot of issues with Donald Trump calling around elections being fake and right. fraudulent. Rigged, whatever, um, yeah. And so they've also had this idea of using ID as that. And we now have this process now in the UK of having an ID when you turn up to the polling booth yeah. to cast your vote. Um, and Yeah, I was going to ask how much of that, you know, would change the, the, opi- these opinions, you know, once that becomes... The, the argument on that side of stuff is that it has affected... Uh, of the, the, the idea would have been if it was somewhat to be uh, used as a form of, of uh, gerrymandering in some respects or, or influencing the outcome of, of elections. I mean, this was seen as an issue where people who are migrant or, or um, of, a, of a lower you know, working class kind of stuff would less likely to have ID mm-hmm. uh, around them. Therefore, you are now eliminating them from the, the option to vote for a working kind of class supportive um, government or a, or a mem- uh, com- um, sorry, say a political party, and it would favour those who are regular voters who turn out day in day out. Yeah. And I think one of the last by elections where it was used, it did influence the fact that um, it backfired on on the Conservative Party, where yeah. they expected a greater turnout uh, and actually mess- didn't get that kind of turnout as they expected. It may well be the fact that the messaging around voter ID has just not. Re- registered with um, the elder elder community who are typical voters and may have been turned back yeah. at home because they turned up to the voting booth and, and basically couldn't vote because yes. they didn't have the ID in front of them. Okay, so basic, uh, focusing on the, um, on those findings, uh, they said there's been a long-term decline, in the, and this is something going back to what you were saying earlier, there's been a long-term decline in the public's perception of the transparency of party and company campaign finance. Although this decline has slowed in 2023, the perceived level of transparency remains low. And there's an increasing trend in the proportion of people who perceive problems around various aspects around democracy as a whole. Absolutely. So, you know, uh, it it seems like there is a general gap, isn't there, between 
the voters and the the people have been voted in uh and 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 that trust in the not maybe not the process but in what comes out of that process you know is democracy fit for purpose i guess yeah i mean you you could argue that might well be down to what how people perceive a first past the post kind of process right, right? and it's also somewhat where proportional representation for example might be seen as a more fairer system yeah but again people still feel they don't understand that system or feel that that's what they want so are you voting for a of a of a party or a personality and right. the first past the post tends to want to reflect that however in some cases you know there could be a case where and, and has been a number of elections where the ruling party who might be seen as unfavorable can tend to split the opposition vote across two other political parties and therefore by default um get through get in through the back door essentially by splitting the opposition vote in some respects. So that first past the post scenario may still get if 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 played in a in a clever political way, um can still get the party that's least liked in yeah. in in the country into power and sustain them in power if, for example, you know, you, you play a political game within your your constituency. And I mean this isn't just um something that's I mean we've been talking I think we it seems we're speaking mainly about UK politics, but it seems you know, I mean if you look at the past couple of decades we've been focusing so much on those undemocratic nations that have kind of had you know, have gone over to democracy. Uh, through change, through people wanting that change, um, and there's that distrust there as well. There was an article on on the BBC website which said uh, Arabs are losing faith in democracy to deliver economic stability across the Middle East and North Africa, which was done in a, in a, in a survey that they that, that was carried out. Uh, and you know, a lot of these countries went through you know what we're talking about the Arab, Arab Spring and you know the the changes that happened there, a, a lot which was backed. You know, was backed by the Western uh, governments, uh, and then also in the, you know, in other, in even in America, which you know, obviously another kind of standard bearer for democracy, uh, a news report, and this was on on, on Time dot com. Uh, they found that there was widespread distrust in societal institutions defined, in, and by that they meant government, business, NGOs, and the media. Uh, despite a strong global economy, uh, it was deemed a trust paradox. Uh, the the report concluded that people's fears about the future are driving this trend, and proposed institutions priorita- prioritizing balanced competence with ethical behavior to rebuild public trust. So you know this trust in democracy seems to be widespread. It's not just here and kind of the the, the, the those aspects that we've spoken about. This it seems to be going, going to, you know it seems to be something across the world. So you know again it's it's that question of can we trust democracy as it you know. As it, as it currently is, you know, there seems to be a lot more, you know, you focused on two-party politics and you got the same in, in, the, in the States. And then generally it tends to be wherever you go across the world, where you have now democracy, you will have a couple of major players in, in the game as opposed yeah. to it being a widespread, you know, um, uh, level of voting for across the board, across different parties or different people. I think there's a difference to be defined between healthy and unhealthy democracy. And, right. and I think where a healthy democracy needs the structure in place yeah. to enable it to 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 remain healthy and to avoid being um, a, a victim of the, the corruption that can 
seep in through different forms. And, yep. and the corruption can come through sometimes through... Remember, the Arrow Spring was an interesting example where the West tends to support those kind of changes right. to democracy, but very does very much doesn't get involved in understanding how you can create a healthy democracy. Yeah. If, as far as they think, every democracy is healthy, but in many cases, there's a there's a need to have a healthy democracy, and a healthy democracy um, needs to have the ability to remove the corruption yeah. from it, the ability to have that transparency and that accountability, yeah. the ability to remove the overall single influence that might come through from different power bases within society. In other words, you know, you can have a democracy which still needs to appease uh, the the military, for example, to some right. extent. You may have a democracy that needs to sort of appease other business leaders or other business influences in that, or even Western and external powers around them or geographical yep. uh, power bases as well. So democracy needs to to have that ability to to remain strong and completely uh, involved in serving its community, but also not to be o- overly influenced by even... The, the way politics or democracy works in terms of how you campaign in the system, how you structure the ability to become in, in leadership roles and the ability to actually get uh, to strengthen your 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 house or your political uh, system or your you know your government or your parliament, whatever it might be, how you give them the strength and the powers to 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 enforce change as well. Sometimes those democracies can be just, more presidential rather than actually structural changes within the system so that there's accountability at different levels, at local level, at national level, uh, and that you, you avoid perhaps a, a presidential type system where yeah. you have you're, it's more about a personality and individuals and yeah. the power that they can have over uh, influencing a lot more people. So sometimes to achieve uh, a political success, you need a lot of backing, a lot of support to get to that. And many, many cases... Um, maybe the wrong people have got into power in different places, and b- to get into power, they've had to s- to serve the interests of those who have helped them get there. So sometimes corruption seepens in those ways, and I believe a lot of this is around the lack of ability to get a healthy democracy in place, rather than any kind of democracy. And there's no doubt that those that people are seeing things after a period of time that they're not serving the interests of the their society, and they may not see themselves any better off. Uh, economically speaking, from before and after, yeah, and, which and is what the um, in, in this article in the BBC uh, they were saying in uh, with, the, with the Arabs that now that they had democracy, they believe the economy is weak under it, so it was stronger under a dictatorship. I guess you know it's just you know I don't know. I suppose it goes counter to the belief that we would have, um, but um, you know it, it would seem that un- once they moved over to that democracy and our level of democracy and what we expect out of democracy, that their economy was hit hard and people are worse off. I mean, when we go back to, if you think back to the 80s and how we perceived, you know, the Soviet Union under, you know, communism, and we were spoken about empty shelves and that kind of level of um, poverty in those countries were in, in, in under what was, you know, essentially a dictatorship. Yeah. We're seeing the same now. Even we even saw in this country we were talking not so long ago about empty shelves and people not being we've got you know rising yeah. uh, living costs and you know we're a truly democratic country. Um, and you know the Arabs believe that since that change, you know the change that they brought about, um, the economy has got weaker. So we're not seeing any kind of improvement under democracy. So there seems to be a, I think, 
we need to be more open about what we expect out of democracy and what should come out of it more more through uh who we vote in and who the people are behind it uh because it, like you said corruption seems to take over at any level yeah i think there's two parts of it i mean there's an example let's say within lebanon where i think they were stating that 48 percent of the of the issues were economic situations post-launch and then there is 23 percent they see it as as the next element which is corruption for example yeah. right so corruption comes in as as being the second most biggest issue i mean in tunisia it's as high as 28 percent so those kind of issues that come into play um of corruption and economic um you could argue you know nobody's really benefited that much uh, over recent years, in globally speaking, uh, yeah. there's a few, very few countries you you could put the case for that have economically achieved much in recent years. Post 2008, where we've had the financial crisis, um, it's been difficult. COVID's made it very difficult as well. Um, yeah. Many many economies haven't recovered. It's hard to to say clearly that those economies in in the Middle East where they've had the Arab Spring. Um, have would have, wouldn't have otherwise suffered as well um, yeah. under the under even the previous government. So it's very difficult to point that out. But definitely, what they're seeing very much is the corruption that they're they're picking up on. Yeah. And there is an element that potentially speaking, the, what the corruption they're seeing is also influencing the uh, economic well-being of, the, of that nation as well. So both of those may go hand in hand in that regards. But again, you're right. There is an element of at least being associating those issues with. Um, that the democracy at least isn't solving those problems that they're finding as well. Um, and I would argue in some cases there is an element of uh, perhaps truth in the fact that those democracies are not seen as healthy, or in at least my book's not healthy. Yeah, no, I think in probably most people. Um, so looking at the kind of maybe the causes behind that, and, you know, we are pathways to peace, we are the voice of Islam. Um, let's look at Islam and democracy and how compatible that is because one of the things as the Ahmadiyya community we've been privileged enough to have is Khilafat and we've got a Khalifa who speaks out on a lot of things and one of the things he's our Khalifa, the current Khalifa, the current head of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community has focused on is and he's spoken about this in peace symposiums, he's spoken about it in his sermons uh, extensively over you know last couple of decades is how the movement away from a belief in a creator has led to um, the, the society we're living in now, where we're asking questions, where you know people are allowed to get. And and I'm trying to bring the two together, I guess, that the the more we've heard about corruption being easier now, the more that the corrupt that politicians are, even in countries such as the UK, where we wouldn't have expected it. Um, is 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 a is a result of us moving away from, um, you know, reliance on our Creator and a belief in that, uh, and, and you know, and obviously we will we'll, we will talk from an Islamic perspective, being Amtis, uh, but you know, generally that move away has become a less Christian country. We are, I suppose, traditionally a Christian country, but we have moved away from that belief and as we move further from that belief into more secular society and we spoke about france earlier on and what this has led to you know where you know a, a purely secular country secular government has outwardly expressed you know um disdain towards religion um and uh in terms of some of 
you know, uh, Islamic hijab and these kind of things. And yet, um, now we're seeing writing and things that we wouldn't expect to have been done under Islamic leadership. So, <coughs> big pun. So, is um, Islam and democracy incompatible? Absolutely not. I think one of the first things to, to draw upon this issue is that um, Islam very clearly makes a distinction between the separation of church and state. So your religion is not necessarily a religion that is actually the government, right? So, you, uh, you know, we've often confused that uh, you can have countries which are Islamic countries, whatever. But the reality is Islam makes the distinction that there is a separation between church and state. The state can behave in a manner um, which is not influenced necessarily by religion, but it can also at the same time um, take on the, the values and the traits of, of what religion has to offer. And one of the big aspects of things that religion has, or, or even Islam, for example, has this whole idea of accountability and that what you do, you're accountable for uh, and you're accountable to your creator for. So if you come through into um, religion, uh, into politics or, or into government and you are you can make decisions that can self serve you, right? You can make be self have a self interest in what you do. And one of the things that keeps you on the straight and narrow is this ability in religion that says, you know, there's you're accountable to a higher power. Right. So where even you have the 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 what looks like a um, an open goal to to be corrupt to serve yourself, self interest, or others that have helped you, you are uh, you are because of that you know you believe in in the ability that you're going to be accountable for what your decisions and what you do and your responsibilities that hopefully will keep you on the straight now and I'm not saying that people don't, don't come from religious background can themselves be you know corrupted and, and tempted away from those sort of things but it does help it makes a big difference and one of the other things that stuck with me was during um, one of the last UK elections, and, and I, I use this example, it was a focus group which was asking about uh, Boris Johnson uh, as a character in terms of leadership uh, for, for when he was standing for uh, standing as, as in the, the first election that he was stood for. And obviously he was Prime Minister um, by default as a result of um, Theresa May resigning, but there was a focus group that asked uh, him, uh, asked some group of people about his um, uh, sort of the certain issues that he had around. I mean, he had some issues around him and scandals around him which related to trust mm -hmm. and integrity, etc. And, and they were there. And whether he was fit to be uh, our prime minister. And and one of the answers was, you know, we know he's a, you know, he's a buffoon or some word like that, yeah. but he's our buffoon, right? And this is what was used. Yeah. And it was... It was dismissed the fact that we know what he is. Yeah. You know, he obviously he's a man of intellect as well, but to a large extent, that yeah. was what was you. It was disregarded mm. um, by people that integrity of an individual is is actually what you should be voting for, right? right? The integrity of an individual, the ability for people to um, to to you know stand up and and do the right thing for the right purpose to serve their their constituency and, and to be uh, a, a civil um, servant in many ways or a, a, a servant of your society all of those things count less and, and personality and that charisma or that charm was what was seen as as 
you know, more attractive for, yeah. for the politicians at the time or for the constituency at the time. And that very much is something that you know, Islam sort of uh, goes against. It's really much around the idea of the integrity of individuals. Right. And things that we do in our community and, and society always is, is a key thing there. The other kind of key thing that comes to mind also is, I'll bring this up as well, in the life of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, is about how um, we use um, we use consultancy or cons- consultation, right. for example, as a key part of the process. And we have that system within a Shura system. But the, the I don't think many people know that about, about yeah. Islam, but I'm, so I'm glad you brought that up. So one of, the, one of the things that the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, did, and it was something that he, he may well have picked up from his days as... Um, in the in the Bedouin um, area where he used to spend his younger years with the Bedouin tribes of an Arab, but there is a saying in there which um, is that it's the it's the tribe that allows the chief to lead, uh, yeah. and it's this idea that um, the actual the tribe uh, is what you know will influence the chief and encourage him to do the right thing. So their their say. Uh, is a good key thing. And there's many occasions where the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, um, used consulting with his his wider community or wider right. groups and, and long discussions and long long debates so that he achieved one thing, and that was that he brought people with them. And that all of the issues were discussed, and whatever was decided meant that people bought into it and went along with it. They had their say. Yeah, they had a chance to influence. They had that, and it became a collective decision making across all the variety of views that were there. And so that was a key part of of how you lead and how you can and you can have a democracy with that ability to consult and to reflect upon all of the issues. And and that's part of one of the key things that the early prophet peace be upon us brought to to the table. Well, he what he exemplified there was. Um Really, this this verse from the uh, Holy Quran, uh, which is chapter forty-two, verse thirty-nine, and it says, "Verily, Allah commands you to make over the trust to those entitled to them, and that when you judge between men, you judge with justice. And surely, excellent is that with which Allah admonishes you. Allah is all hearing, all seeing. And that's sorry, that's chapter uh, four, verse fifty-nine, and chapter uh, forty-two, verse thirty-nine. It says, and those who hearken to the Lord." and observe prayer and whose affairs are decided by mutual consultation and who spend out of what we have provided for them. So as long as there's absolute justice and mutual consultation, both of which you've you've covered, uh, are employed, and just as the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, employed, uh, did in developing the... Uh, and the Charter of Medina, I think, is one of the examples Absolutely. Where, it, where, where this he exemplifies that kind of perfectly. Uh, and where Islam gives power to the people um, to develop a form of government as they choose. Absolutely. It doesn't have to be a government of democracy. Yeah. It has to be about um, how responsible the individuals are right. in carrying out their responsibility to their people. So the idea is, 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 is the individuals going to carry out the responsibility to the individuals that they're supposed to serve? Yeah. And that's where the accountability happens to those people, yeah. that they need to do that effectively. Um, you know, it, it's, it's numerous examples. I think we, we've probably quoted um, the, the ability of um, Hazrat Umar, for example's right. um, ability to go into a, 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 an area which he was uh, looking after and controlling and, and walking the streets to, to see the issues and hearing the issues of a, of a woman 
who didn't know uh, the Khalifa by by sight, but knew of him yeah. and wasn't was having trouble feeding her children. And the story obviously revolves about him having to to go off with his. Um, his associate and so forth, or his servant in some respects, to pick up food. And actually he, he refused to, to give the food to uh, the servant to carry, but he carried it himself on his shoulders because, you know, he's, the servant's not carrying his burden right. in, in he- heaven or hell, right? So he has to carry that on the day of judgment. And so so he served that, that family, that, that, that wife, that woman with her children, in order to to prove that you know he's carrying out his responsibilities, yeah. and that's the level of 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 example that we're obviously showing about how people carry out their service to the to the people they are responsible for. And you know, you mentioned uh, Hazrat Umar as a Khalifa, and we know that the Caliphate, caliphate uh, within Islam, you know, is is, is uh, the most it's the strongest institution after. Uh, you know, uh, in, uh, in uh, that we currently have um, under Islam at the moment, and, and as as Amdis, we we're lucky enough to be under a, uh, a Khalifa who, who leads that way. And the kind of second most important thing that we have as an institution is something known as the shura, or this kind of mutual consultation. And you know, being a practical religion, um, it, it does allow for this consultation to happen at a regular basis. Um, Shura, and just so I can explain it a bit further, literally means consultation. Uh, And it's uh, a a system, uh, it's an Islamic principle which calls upon Muslims, usually under a system of proportional representation to gather through debate, uh, forward-formed opinions to the Khalifa, or the Caliph, which they feel for for the betterment of that Ummah. Yeah, one thing I think goes amiss on in the way Shura works is you nominate people from your constituency or ward, for example, yeah. to participate in it. Yeah. So not every member of of, a, of, a, of of this Muslim community, the Ahmadi Muslim community, can, can participate in it directly. Yeah. Well, they are supposed to be made aware of, of things that come out of it. Yeah. But they will rep- get representation to go forward. Yeah. And that representation, A, first of all, is supposed to be someone of, of integrity right. and of trust within that, that constituency. So those things are important. But what really is important, and I really like about that, is that those individuals can't and can't uh, promote themselves. Right. I was, I was going to come to that. I'm glad you pulled that up. That's the, amazing, the most amazing thing about yeah. it is that you are nominated to to participate which then needs to be seconded by somebody else yes you've seconded you're you know and so forth but when you're nominated and you you receive the votes and you get the highest votes whatever yeah. then you, you go through to that process uh, but you can't in any way shape or form yeah say you know uh, i i i can't do this or i don't i want to do this or, yeah. I, or you can't be seen to be um sort of um what you might say, promoting yourself amongst others right, yeah, as well, yeah. or uh, can- canvassing, probably the right word I was looking yeah, yeah. for. You can't be seen to be doing that process. And that's a big difference between sort of the democracy you have in yeah. kind of the regular democracy that you see and what happens in Islam is Ex- that really the person who campaigns, the person who shouts the loudest and with the most money is most likely going to be the one who gets voted in, absolutely. whereas absolutely impossible under Shura. Exactly. It doesn't work under that system, right? Yeah. Um, it, uh, and even to the point where you can't stand up and give a, 
you know, a three-minute bit of blurb or, or right. a, about yourself. Yeah. You can't even sort of sell yourself in yeah. to, to, to a group of people. And it's very much around, uh, you know, how involved are you in, you know, are you trusted within the community? Are you involved? Are you doing stuff? Are you, yeah. are you contributing? So those individuals that are part of an active in the community yeah. ultimately are, are seen and, and therefore um, nominated and put forward for, for, yeah. for sure. And, and in that process, you then... Um, are, are further elected into discussing the issues as well and been participating in the issues in even working group committees as well. So it works in a very effective manner where people from all walks of life can be part of that process as well. Now, you, you said something earlier, which is sort of uh, regarding the Shura, uh, where not everyone may know about it. And people may think, well... If they don't know about it, how can they then really put forward a proposal or, you know, you know, really be a, a part of this shura? But I, I suppose, again, this goes down to trust, right? Uh, because, you know, essentially, uh, when you have a shura proposal come out and it just, you know, that becomes disseminated across uh, everybody and everybody understands what's been proposed. It then gives you the opportunity to then approach people directly uh, for maybe the next Shura or whatever. Yes. And say, uh, look, I'd like to put this proposal in. Um, now, th- that seems... Um, and then and then anything that's not popular can then be discussed maybe again at the next Shura. And and at the Shura itself, it's, it's still heavily discussed. So there seems to be kind of different levels of... It's not just a proposal was made and then it's put into place. It's consulted at every level. So, you know, it's, it's done at an early stage where someone may say, I've got this proposal, it then has to go through uh, the process of um, being uh, entered into the Shura. And then at the Shura itself, it's discussed. And even then, it can be declined. And even at that point, I suppose the Khalifa has the final word anyway. Yeah. So I think the other thing to to draw to this attention is that while the delegate is someone who can be seen as very active and involved and and in the community to, to be able to be nominated... A proposal can come from grassroots, from, from right. somebody, from a, from a youngster even, for example, right, who has very little involvement uh, and wants to put something forward. So the, 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 the area of people where they can put proposals forward yeah. come from such a wide base of, of individuals. Yeah. Um, and the, obviously the discussion for that and the process of, of uh, vetting it can come through just those individuals that are part of, at a local level, you can vet it and then you can put it forward and so forth. Yeah. But the other aspect, another aspect of it is, is that once things are agreed and acted upon and submitted, they have to be, the delegates of the Shura are, they say responsibility yeah. to follow up and ensure yeah. that they're being delivered on. I mean, that, that, that comes from the principles of absolute justice, I guess, and that comes from having to make sure that you have that your total trust is in God, and that what you're proposing and what you're, you know, uh, putting forward is for the benefit of everybody, and is done based, you know, strongly. It has to be done based strongly on the trust that you have in God that 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 comes through. Yeah, and, and I think the other safety net is that you because you can't be nominated or because yeah. you can't canvas to be thing, you also don't know. The proposal, so right. you, you, the chances of you having a, a vested interest, oh, right, exactly. in something is very, very low. Yeah, right. 
Um, and if you did feel, you know, and also the fact that it's debatable on a wider range of people, yeah. it's hard for you even by chance to influence that the outcome right. of that. Uh, and those things are then discussed by the wider delegation as well. Yeah. And so the aspect of one individual or a group of individuals influencing the outcome of a proposal yeah. is very, very low. Right. Uh, and, 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 and near impossible to some extent, I would yeah. say, because it's really difficult to, 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 to be, you know, to have a vested interest in something or in something with a surer system that we have in place as well, which is which is quite democratic in that sense. Yeah, and I, and I think um, what you were saying it covers you know a wide group of people. I think it's it should, it's also worth mentioning, and and I take my um, my knowledge from how we have in uh, how we've used the shura uh, as the Amnir community, which is the Islamic principle, uh, you know, and where we have everybody. We've got different. Organizations, we've got the younger organizations, which is um, uh, sort of they call it the youth organization, but they're not youth, it's up to the age of 40 yeah, from 15. 16 to 40. Yeah, uh, and then we've got the uh, a separate um institution which is uh for the elders, which is uh, 40 and above, but then there's also the women as well. Yeah, so they're not forgotten, they have they they put their proposals, so everybody is accounted for, everybody gets their say, yeah. everybody can put their proposal through, and that can you know become uh, you know, it becomes uh, a part of part of the norm, becomes enacted, correct. Yeah. And so, and, and that's kind of a, it's almost like a, a powerful tool that we have to ensure that justice is disseminated across across the board, and again, all of it depends on that belief in God and trust in. Uh, in in our our, uh, leaders as well. And I think that's one of the key things is that under that system there isn't an issue of lack of trust or in the the individuals or or the people who are voting for it. Um, You may have uh, questions about how well something might be implemented which has its own challenges for people who might implement it but that's a very separate issue that those who are proposing and deciding on certain things that's where the aspects of things where you can say, you know, there isn't, there is transparency. There is this issue of that corruption is, is mitigated as well as part of this process. And it's model yeah. for a good way of actually having a democratic um, process, yeah. uh, both for how you elect yeah. and both for how you actually debate a proposal. And it has, is pretty watertight, I think, yeah. in that regards as well. And that allows you to to do it. Obviously, this is a process where you're actually allowing individuals to represent you and vote, you know, and, and to do it. And it's based upon this idea of integrity of individuals, that you trust them to, to represent you better. Yeah. And it's based upon their actions and their deeds rather than what they say and what they promote themselves on. Right. And, uh, you know, in, in no way does it actually... Um favor any one particular system either in like if yeah. you know a kind of a political uh english uh like a, um a political system that you might get in any kind of nation um you know it rejects kind of um even theocratic communist communistic uh dictatorial and fascist rules and and such forms like government like that are kind of uh they're seen as unjust and they're not allowed and and again it always comes back to the idea of absolute justice and you know the importance of having that. I think the word most politicians tend to use is fairness, right? Fairness, right? Which yeah. is a kind of key word or emblem on on different people's manifestos from from time to time. But it effectively is justice, right? It's the idea of of being just in what you do. Yeah. Um, and I think that's one of the things that we we tend to always aim to follow within the, an Islamic principle. Okay. 
Thank you, Asif. It's been a it's been a good show. It's been a good discussion. Um, something you. if anybody wants to follow up and can do uh, on Twitter uh, by going to at Voice of Islam UK, where you can give your opinions. Uh, you can also find us on www.voiceofislam.co.uk, and you will also be able to, if you need to hear the show, be able to download it on SoundCloud and um, you know listen to it again. Although it is played during the week as well, so you you know please do uh, listen during the week. We've got other shows as well which may cover these topics, um, but. Uh, Thanks very much for joining us. And then hopefully I will see you again in a few weeks. Thank you. Peace be upon you.